been writing five or six hundred words about some woman who'd lost her tricycle. I'd written a story about how we all belong to each other. We need to belong to something greater than ourselves. And I think there's adventure there. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Adventure Deficit Show, where we're always on the lookout for new stories and the life lessons they might hold. Join me, your host, Drew DeVries, as we embark on today's journey to combat the deficit. Today, we've got a very special guest joining us. It is with great pleasure that I present to you West Michigan's sweetheart columnist, Tom Rademacher. Tom spent uh, the large part of 30 years um, as a uh, editor and columnist for the Grand Rapids Press before um, moving on to, uh, to some other things, some other special projects. Um, Tom, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to be here, Drew. Thanks for joining us today. We've got uh, we've got a special segment that um, that I think will take us off of the the beaten path as far as adventure deficit goes. Traditionally, adventure deficit entails uh, hiking, paddling, climbing, uh, surfing, skiing, things of that nature, and those are not uh, foreign to Mister Rademacher at all by any means. He's uh, he's got his background in in um, writing, but he also does a fair amount of uh, swimming and running. Uh, he's done the Boston Marathon, isn't that right, Tom? Yeah, one time. Um, and he does uh, quite a bit of windsurfing here in, in West Michigan as well. But uh, today we are going to uh, we're going to prod Tom for some of the stories that has uh, has made a thirty plus year career um, somewhat of a legacy. And uh, if you're not from the West Michigan area. Um, Hopefully, some of this might help. But Tom's a, a three-time first-place winner from the National Society of Newspaper Columnists. He's a Sundry Award winner. Um, he's actually run the Boston Marathon, and he has bicycled across the Canadian Rockies. Um, he's got uh, a wife and three kids still living here in up in the Rockford area. Is that correct? Yep, pretty much. Two of the guys are on their way to, to different locales but uh we still call that home okay he's uh he's got a lot of stories that have helped shape uh shape who he is and one of the things that um i was really excited to uh to have the opportunity to hear from tom was uh he's got a a heart for story and he has um some life lessons to offer which is uh, arguably one of the most important things that our community as the adventure deficit community is is after so uh, i asked tom to come spend some time with us and he's uh, he's agreed to uh, to grace us with his presence so uh without further ado tom tell us uh, tell us what you've been up to for the last few years well since i left the press uh, where i was full-time for more than 30 years uh, i've been doing uh, a variety of storytelling uh, uh, initiatives and uh, working for different clients, uh, some as close as around the corner and others uh, who have uh, sent me on uh, journeys as far away as Zambia, Africa. Um, I do speech writing. I write website copy. Uh, I perform some really cool uh, public relations writing for Sable PR, which has uh, 
dozens of clients, and we serve them uh, with whatever needs they have to uh, um, create relationships with others and with the public at large. Uh, I do work for the Grand Rapids Community Foundation in writing stories for, for what's called the Encore Movement, which celebrates people who have reignited themselves after the age of 50 and are uh, trying to, um, as we say, uh, uh, making Grand Rapids uh, great by affecting the greater good. And um, then a variety of, of, of other clients that I serve, uh, editing a couple books for people uh, from as, as near as uh, Grand Rapids area and far away as Australia. And uh, grateful for the work and, uh, and really uh, 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 enjoying the, the variety of, of uh, different things that I'm doing. Um, but I, as I was uh, uh, telling you earlier, Drew, in another conversation, I, I feel sometimes like a bit of a fraud when I <clears throat> put myself out as a professional writer because it, it was a very inauspicious start. And uh, I remember back in high school when the nun came around who was advising we juniors at the time about college plans, she skipped me over altogether. And I said, hey, Sister Bernie Marie, you kind of skipped me there. I uh, remember me. And she said, oh, Tommy Rademacher. Some <laughs> of us are meant for college and some of us are meant for trade school. And it was uh, quite a blow because back then trade school really didn't have a dignified reputation. It was where sure. you went to smoke cigarettes and work on engines. And, okay. Uh, of course, now it's it's a lot more Completely yeah, it's changed different a bit. culture. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I would I would go there in an, in an instant to learn a trade, culinary arts, um, you know, mechanics, uh, uh, a whole bevy of stuff that's uh, really valuable and, and well done, especially at the KISD here in town. So off I went to be a factory worker as soon as I turned eighteen, right after graduating high school, and I was working a plating machine, um, half as long as a football field, green button on, red button off. Yeah, and I saw myself. Um, doing that for 30 or 40 years and came home in tears at three in the morning and told my dad I, I couldn't do it. Hmm. And he'd got me the job. So I, I was going to let him down. And he said, no, you won't be letting me down. You'll press the green button and the red button for 12 more weeks, and then you'll go to junior college. And so that's where I went. And junior college really kind of saved me. It was the perfect uh, 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 place for me to end up as far as college. And I probably learned more there than I did at the other two colleges that I attended afterward. Really? Yeah. Just really great teachers and uh, relationships that I cemented at uh, Endure today, uh, including my uh, swim coach, Dave Clark, uh, who still lives in the Caledonia area. So um, it, it's all about relationships. If you can get into a school um, where you're, you uh, uh, discover a mentor who's actually going to take you under their wing and uh, help you through the ropes. Cool. Finally graduated with a special ed degree, of all things, and that's a story in itself. Uh, I got a little wayward in uh, my direction, but <clears throat> I was writing for the school newspapers um, that I was involved with during my last couple of years at Alma in Grand Valley. Okay. And uh, all of a sudden, just on a dime, turned and realized this little hobby of mine could be a career. But I had really little formal training in terms of classroom experience and hadn't gone through any J program. But I was in the door at the press writing part-time sports, and so I approached the boy editor at the time, Mike Lloyd, who was 32 years old and at the helm, Yeah. and uh, he turned me down. Yeah. And I finally said to him, look, I know how to tar a rough, drive a truck, clean a john, landscape. Let me do those things but and, and put a pen in my hand someday. And he said, you start Monday. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So... And uh, so off I went to um, 
to uh, kind of chart my way. And uh, I did beats for 10 years, which means you, uh, you work in the trenches, you cover courts, sports, uh, politics, health, uh, crime. And uh, you, you get your feet wet with a, a, a whole host of, of things that uh, put you in touch with the real world in a very visceral way. Hmm. Um, some of it is very ghastly because you're, you're covering uh, life and death on the highway. And that's probably the, for me, it was the toughest beat. And for a lot of people, uh, they'll wash out after being assigned that stuff and yeah. they'll go into something else. Yeah. But I, I got my big chance to become a columnist when the, 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 the reigning columnist uh, just up and, and uh, decided to retire one day. And uh, I remember uh, Mike Lloyd at the time saying he, he, he was thinking of not replacing the columnist and just uh, uh, having everybody do general assignment. And I said, Mike, if you do one thing, keep a town crier on hand because we need to tell the stories of the people that live around the corner and in our midst. And we do a great job with, um, you know, typical news stories and features, but we need that hybrid uh, piece to, uh, that, that people will want to read that, uh, about their neighbors. And he said, well, then go find me one. And I guess this is where <laughs> the adventure deficit comes in because I, I had to sort of find my mark and uh, set a tone yeah. Uh, unlike the the columnist who had pre- preceded me. And so I went out to find a story that could impact the community and maybe something a- a- around which the community could celebrate or or be, be galvanized or would serve as a catalyst or inspiration. And I found this woman whom everybody called Aunt Mary. And okay. she, she lived in the shadow of John Ball Park. And somebody had stolen her adult three-wheel tricycle. And... It, it ordinarily would not have made front page news, or or maybe even a, a you know, as they said in the old days, on the liner page. It just it wasn't a story. Somebody stole a bike. Okay, but was, was Aunt, why why did Aunt Mary have a three wheeled bicycle? Was she, did she have uh, was she considered to be a, a disabled woman, or was she, she was just infirmed enough that she couldn't drive a car? Okay, and and she couldn't handle a two wheeler. Okay, so this I gotcha. was this was the way. It was the way she got to St. Matthew's Credit Union to do her banking. It was how she got to the Villa Maria to visit shut-in friends. It was how she got to Mass at Sacred Heart. It was how she went to uh, Parkside to buy her kibasa. I mean, it was it was her legs. Okay. Somebody had had stolen her legs. And so I remember the, the first line of the story, and this was the first column I ever wrote for the press. It began with something to the effect of, well, I hope you're happy, you creep. Yeah. And people gathered around that. Obviously, I found out because... On the morning after the papers hit porches the evening before, I was assigned to go back to Aunt Mary's house, and her front yard was teeming with people, some of whom had, had brought brand-new tricycles for her. The whole Fulton corridor, Fulton Street corridor of uh, business people were bringing their gift certificates and pies and food and flowers. And I realized in that moment that in writing five or 600 words about some woman who'd lost her tricycle. I'd written a story about how we all belong to each other. We need to belong to something greater than ourselves. And I think there's adventure there. And it's, it's not always about, I, I went fishing and look what I caught. But right. it's the story behind the fishing. And in, in this case, I was certainly fishing. I was fishing for a story. And I was fishing for something that mattered uh, in, the, in the course, in, in the process. And so... Um, cool. I, I think that... Um, when I look back, uh, I'm the culmination of, of people who took chances on me. Um, teachers as, as early back as, you know, um, grade school who 
who saw something in me and, um, you know, promoted me <laughs> to the next grade. Sure. Maybe when I was on the cusp or, or said to me, you know, look, don't try to go into anything that has anything to do with math because you can't even do flashcards. <laughs> to this day, I still can't. Thank gosh, I have a wife who knows how to balance a checkbook. You get your aha moment with uh, with Mary and uh, bringing forward a story catches fire in your in in your being. It sounds as though that was that was what lit the yeah. career. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that everybody has that that flashpoint where. Sometimes you don't know when it's happening. And, and looking back, I don't know that I, I was realizing it in the moment. But in, in looking back, you know, in, in our most savvy moments, we're able to rewind our life's tape and go back and, and discover, oh, that, that was my aha moment or that, that, you know, meeting that person on that day really did change my life. And in, in terms of meeting my wife, Holly, that changed my life. That was a, a huge catalyst. I was... Uh, um, married once at 22, and that didn't work out. It lasted a short while. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was footloose for uh, quite a few years, and we parted ways and uh, uh, went to find other uh, other people and, uh, and other experiences. And by the time I was nearing 30, um, I had no intentions of marrying again. I wasn't really looking. Uh-huh. Um, uh, dating and, and whatnot was kind of casual in the moment, but... Um, a gentleman that I had known for a long time through the swimming circles that I was in, as he, we were actually starting swimmings together. At one point, he said, "Why don't you meet me up at?" Uh, and he mentioned this little lake up near where they were living. And he said, "My whole family's going to be there, and bring your windsurfer because he knew that I was windsurfing." And, okay. And so I showed up, and there's his daughter sitting on the dock. And oh. I took one look at her, and I said, "Man, if I could marry that girl, I'd be happy for the rest of my life." And I didn't know at the time, but he was setting me up with his daughter at the time. And it was like this perfect moment in time. So did you say that just to yourself? To or myself. Did you actually, okay. To myself. So he didn't know but that I you were But I said it to her four smitten. months later. And, and, wow. And we, and she was um, living in Maine at the time, teaching, uh, enjoying a coaching career, and, um, and very serious about uh, someone else. And she had actually come home to possibly plan her wedding that summer home to Rockford and not if you had anything to say about it well and I I wasn't I wasn't there to cause interference but she had told her parents I I, this guy isn't right for me and broke into tears and that's when her dad went to work (laughs) hip hip Tom Tom Rademacher cruises in with his windsurfer and says "Uh uh-uh I guess and but I I was shocked to the point of I fell in love in on that day. And, wow. And I just, there was something that clicked. And if, if you haven't gone through a fairy tale moment like that, you don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, talk about an adventure. When I measure myself against uh, uh, issues of character, I always think of her first and what would Holly do um, in terms of humans anyway. And uh, so she's been uh, uh, just the greatest touchstone ever. So we got a little bit about uh, your start. Um with uh, with your early your early beat uh, assignments, we got a little bit about your heart, which was uh, a compelling story about Mary and her tricycle, and uh, kind of getting the the community to uh, support her in that and and finding a career out of that. And then we got a little bit about 
your love story, which I didn't see that one coming. But yeah, I didn't either. But no. that's a that's a cool piece to share with us. Thanks for uh, for diving into that adventure deficit community. I hope you know what a treat you've got here um, with uh, with a professional storyteller at the helm. What happened next after after you and Holly got married um, before the kids? What what took place in those years? We were um, always all about the water in Lake Michigan, Holly and myself. We both grown up as competitive swimmers, okay, uh, lifeguards, uh, swimming instructors. Uh, just had never met. Um, those circles never became concentric. Right off the bat on our list of things, uh, and we didn't want for a lot, but we did want a cottage on big water. And so I spent the better part of four years building a cottage. And uh, which no exists kidding. today, yeah. So we still use that today, and um, it, it may serve as our retirement home for all we know, which could be sooner than later. No kidding. Yeah. So was this your first home together? No, we we actually had a little house on the west side of Grand Rapids. Okay. Um, that I was living in when we met. Okay. And so um, we, and then we had our first uh, son while we were living there. The cottage was was certainly a, a seasonal cottage where we went in the summertime, and I would commute back and forth while Holly had the summers off. We raised our three boys at that cottage every summer. Oh, so what they, a cool they, place they really, to grow up. They really never knew the the hubbub of a Grand Haven or a Holland until they were old enough to drive. Because we went to where it was wild and quiet and rustic. Uh, so so they, they learned to grow up appreciating uh, nature and, you know, everything from hoary pacoon to the different kinds of dune grass to um, just really watching the way that, that the... The leaves turned and the wind blew and the water roiled up. And uh, I think some of those images are indelible in their minds. And uh, one of our sons is an artist, and uh, it really it, one of his touchstones is Lake Michigan. And he goes there when he creates things, whether it's a, a, a sculpture or a painting or a drawing. He, he finds his, um, I think his, his muse is the lake. For our listeners who are familiar with Lake Michigan, um, it might not might not be hard to paint that picture, but for those of you who don't know what a treasure uh, the Great Lakes are, specifically on the west coast of the the state of Michigan, um, we're treated with some of the the really, in my opinion, the best sunsets over what what, what I would equate as a freshwater ocean mm-hmm. um, that I can really fathom. Yeah. Um, sugar sugar sand beaches, yeah. um, three hundred foot tall dunes. Uh, all the all the scrub oaks, all the the towering pines. Mm-hmm. You've got the tranquility of of um, wilderness, but you've also got um, you know you've got the benefit of having the beach right there too at your disposal, and it's all fresh. I mean, that's the that's one of the coolest things about this. Yeah, and so much of it is public, and just inland from that Great Lake is uh, are, are all kinds of different ecosystems, from cedar swamps to. Uh, uh, you know, ma- mature forests of beech and oak and maple and um, waterways galore, uh, everything from creeks and ponds to rivers and um, chutes and dams. And uh, it's it's really a treasure. And uh, yeah. we've never, our family, is, we've never contemplated living anywhere else. Um, Michigan's just always been such an iconic state. When I was at the press, just after a couple, three years, I... I I, I was wondering if I was having a change of heart. I was covering the beats, okay. and uh, we were offered the, the opportunity to take a leave if we wanted, uh, you know, a few weeks, a few months. 
And I was single and carefree, and uh, I thought, you know, I think I will. And so I took a summer off, and I basically went hitchhiking. Uh, I didn't have to, but I just I was looking for something different. So I left my car home and um, hopped on the highway and <laughs> caught two rides all the way to Lake Worth, Florida. Uh, it took me two rides. And I thought, this is a little too easy. Uh, no kidding. I stayed in Lake Worth for about a week. And I slept above a, a, a rest stop, a restroom actually in a park, and then stashed all my gear, which was basically a backpack, with some gal that I'd met who worked at a 7-Eleven. So every morning <laughs> I'd, I'd take my stuff, I'd climb off the top of the restroom of the park, and I'd take my backpack to the gal at 7-Eleven, and then I would run four or five miles to the ocean. And I'd just hang out on the ocean all day, and then I'd run back at, in the evening and get my backpack and go back to the stop of, roof of the rest stop and sleep. And, and I, you trusted this girl with your life? Yeah, your life I don't know why, but she... Belonging? Yeah, you, she looked trustworthy. and That was good enough, yeah. huh? So, wow, what a different time. It was just a week uh, in out of my life, and it was fun. And, and then I hitchhiked back, and uh, or actually, then I hitchhiked across um, Alligator Alley of Florida. And first of all, I would not recommend hitchhiking today at all. But secondly, <laughs> certainly not against uh, across Alligator Alley. That was that was dangerous. And uh, I don't even know what that is. Tell us a little bit. What's the, Alligator Alley? It's, it's the east uh, east west highway across the uh, the southern belly of Florida. Okay. And I forgot the name of the highway itself, but everybody calls it, at least to my recollection, Alligator Alley. And I remember standing and baking in the sun for many minutes, if not an hour or more, trying to get my next ride. And people just, they wouldn't pick you up because, first of all, I'd, I'd probably look like a bandit. You know, I had long <laughs> hair and scruffy and dirty and boots or tennis shoes, I forget. And, you know, I looked I looked lost and, and pretty confused and why would you want me in your car and uh and, and then again i was counseled by somebody in some little town that you know anybody who wants to pick you up probably wants to do you harm so you should just get out of here get your thumb down yeah so i got finally over to captiva and sanibel on the gulf coast okay which i'd never seen before and fell in love with it and actually almost said yes to a guy who wanted to hire me on as a a builder apprentice, and I saw myself in a little postcard, you know, doing that. But for some reason, I I voted no, and I hitchhiked back to to Grand Rapids, and then I then I hitchhiked out to Colorado, and I went through the UP the long way, and climbed Long's Peak, and too little clothing, and got caught <laughs> near the top with I mean seriously with tennis shoes like in sh- in running shorts and a and a tee. Oh man. And snow came in. Oh and, man. And I I had no idea that, you know, the weather that out, out there makes makes up its own mind. Yeah. So I was caught and uh remember huddling when I finally got back down below the tree line against some tree just trying to stay warm and oh, made wow. it back down but I I never felt like I was my life was threatened but um, just uncomfortable. Yeah. And I did drink some water. Um, which by the time I got home, I'm pretty sure I had Giardia, if, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Oh, I was you... sick as a dog. Oh, okay. Yeah, they call that the beaver fever. Yeah, it was awful. That's just that was miserable. sweats for days. Sweats, diarrhea, yeah. fever, yeah. 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 How long did that last? Probably two or three days. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so did you ever do uh, Did you ever do another 14er? 
Um, After Long's Peak? No. No? No. One, one and done? I got that out of my system. I yeah. did some backpacking in the um, River of No Return area, Payette National Forest, and was caught on Long's Peak with a buddy, uh, or not Long's Peak, uh, Chicken Peak it was called. This um, is Idaho? Idaho. Okay. Yeah. And caught in, uh, I had a Dacron sleeping bag. Because, you know, that was the cheapest one. It was like 1995 Yeah. at MC Sports back yep. in the 70s. All synthetic. Oh, it was not the bag of choice. And I had to put on every stitch of clothing I owned. And I probably kept my buddy Jim Starkey, who was a press photographer, awake the whole night. Because all I could hear and probably he could hear was my teeth chattering. Oh, to, that's miserable. Just talking about it. I don't even want to talk about that. That is the most <laughs> uncomfortable situation when yeah. when you cannot get an hour of sleep because you're cold yeah and the six hours of darkness feel like 60 oh I and bet. it just completely envelops you and and i really did wonder if i was going to make it through that because it's i think it's the coldest i've ever been sleeping in my boots and for some reason even layering up didn't didn't cut the the cold and i i don't know why um I do know i own a really good sleeping bag now <laughs> yeah I, I do that i do that life lesson yeah right Let's earmark that for uh, for all you fellow wanderers. Yeah, invest in a good sleeping bag. Um, what were you and Jim Starkey doing up there? Were you guys doing a, a story, or were you just uh, he just was kind in, of exploring? He or was what? introducing me to backpacking. Uh, okay. we, we were good friends, uh, good running buddies. We used to run at lunch, and uh, once a week uh, we would run ten miles on our lunch uh, hour out to Bissell and back. That was a ten mile round trip. Nice. And uh, we had showers at the press, and um, so it was. A nice perk to be able to do that on our lunch hour. Cool. Um, wow, I'm I'm having so much fun with you. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's a treat. So um, were these when you did Alligator Alley, Long's Peak, and then uh, your your Starkey trip in Idaho? How old were you? I was in my uh, mid twenties. Okay, so this was uh, this was before kids. This was yeah. before Holly. This yeah. was uh, you were you were wandering. That is, uh, I think that's something that resonates in, in all of us, especially our community where, um, uh, you know, tomorrow not being promised is, uh, is exciting Yeah. when you don't know what, what lies ahead of the next curve. Um, there's, and, that, and that's really what attracted me to journalism was I, I realized that instead of teaching special ed and, you know, rehearsing and then orchestrating the same lesson hour after hour every day, I got to do something that involved tabula rasa. In other words, going to a blank slate every morning and not knowing what the world would unveil for itself uh, for me to cover and to do a story on. Yeah. And I, I found that um, I think I made the most impact and, and created the most buzz with stories about people who overcame odds uh, and probably shouldn't have. Okay. And so... Um, their adventures, uh, I lived vicariously uh, and, and brought to the front porches of my readers. And, and a few come to mind. One of them is about um, uh, a gal who was a six, sixth grader at the time uh, uh, and uh, out in Granville. Okay. And she'd been uh, born uh, with deformed arms and no thighs. And uh, this little gal was uh, a champ. Uh, she never thought of herself as handicapped. But she needed an electric arm in, in order to get ahead in the world. And so she needed this myoelectric arm. And so 
these um, her classmates and, and teachers and the community out at uh, Cummings Elementary in Granville rallied around her and said, "We're gonna we're gonna get sixty thousand dollars and buy you that arm." So they wow, started. Wow, is that what it was? Yeah, it was big. It was a big deal. Early prosthesis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they had a bake sale, and they had a donut sale, and a penny roll. That's a lot of donuts. Food. Yeah. And they had $600 when I discovered that they were trying to do this. So I just kind of rolled in and said, let me do a story about um, this this uh, young lady. And I, I uh, spent a long time with her in the school, and I watched how she ate her food, and it was pathetic because she had to shovel it in with her forearm because her fingers didn't work. She couldn't hold the utensil. She really needed this arm to to, to you know gain a foothold in life. Hmm. So... I wrote this story, and I remember spending a long time on the ending, and I said, um, in a very deliberate way, in, in an effort to attract interest and, and donations, I said, you know, she has all this, all these things coming at her very soon, junior high beckons, hmm. and that will, be her, that will mean her first dance. And wouldn't it be great if she had not a, a stump, but all the appearance of, a, of an arm resting across the the shoulder of the young man with whom she's dancing. Oh, wow. And I think it touched a chord with people because they saw in that, they saw their own daughters yeah. in that, and they saw their neighbor's daughters and their nieces, and they thought, and within days, um, $70,000 rolled in from three different continents because the story went wire and went viral, so to speak. And she got her arm, and I'll That's... always remember that as a, um, so grateful for the ability to, go out and, and capture somebody's need and then put it out there for public consumption and then watch people um, perform at their best. That's really cool. Uh, that's impactful. I, I think every time you climb into a kayak or, or you know throw some fishing gear into the trunk, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're looking for an experience, and that experience is often reflected in a story. And anybody who's been to deer camp, and I've been to plenty of them and, and have opened up, Every November fifteenth, for you know the better part of forty years, um, you don't go back so much for the venison as you do for the camaraderie around the cook stove or the wood fire, and the stories and and you're really building legacies, and that's why, Drew, I I love what you're doing is you're extending the reach of stories, and we get to shine the light on one another and. What I love about Adventure Deficit is that it's acknowledging that um, in, in our culture today that we're, we're on the brink of, of a problem and that we're not embracing the outdoors and, and nature and all its elements enough. Um, I, I think I'm probably preaching to the choir here because people tuning into Attention Deficit are, are craving stories that reflect their pursuit of outdoors and and nature and, and all that the planet has to offer. But I think we have to spread this message, and that's why it's important to share this podcast and the, the fact that it exists with other people because, and, and I, I don't mean to sound like, uh, you know, the old grumpy neighbor down the street, but some of us are spending too much time with screens. I'm not saying that Instagram and instant messaging and, and Facebook and, and all those things don't have value, but you you need to brush off um the, the detritus of, of indoors and get outside and experience, you know, the, you know, 
we should all know what a climax forest is comprised of. And I mentioned Hori Pakun uh, earlier. That's not to say everybody should see the color orange emanating from you know the the leafy stalks, but we we ought to to be more in touch with that. And you know, before the advent of TV, um, people were out in nature all the time. People kept little chat books in their back pocket and they wrote poetry, and they they were connected. And I think we're losing that connection. But for the sake of uh, uh, for the sake of helping it endure, we have a podcast like this, and it's it's a, a very motivating um, vehicle to get us back out and enjoying the, the world the way it was intended. I couldn't have said it any better. Um, well said. All right. So circling back to Tom's story, um, personally, what I gather uh, is what I hope for. Uh, the community together as well. But um, I always like to circle back and, and kind of go through some of the, the life lessons that are embedded in Tom's story or anybody else's story for that matter. But uh, specific to yours, I hear um, I hear a young man with a dream in front of an editor who's got uh, a bit of a reputation for being a hard nose. And, and I hear I hear a resounding uh stance of of believe in yourself well I, I i had this that i had as many doubts as any kid growing up about you know where i where i fit but i also uh, was raised by parents who said you know that if you want something uh, don't don't just wait for the tr- that train to, to happen by because you got to go out and, and capture it and he saw that in you yeah I th- and gave I think you a so. pen yeah yeah <laughs> as you said it right yeah exactly uh, when it comes to love, I hear um, take a chance, yeah. right? I mean, from a, a, a early marriage that I would dare say at this point was uh, an early exit, yeah. um, and and it doesn't sound like anything was too long long lasting there, which is is great. But just focusing on the other half of that, which is moving forward into an, an into another scenario when your heart is already, uh, it's got to be it's got to be pretty close to um, calloused at that moment. I got to believe, or at least hardened toward love. But I hear from a 27 something Tom Rademacher, Hey, I'm going to give this another shot. Is that, is, is there some legs to that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think by the grace of God, you know, Holly got sent to me and, and, and we paired up and, and, you know, I look back on that grace extended through, you know, his instrument being her father, Dan, yeah, uh, who who died last year, and I miss him every day. But, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, but he, uh, I mean, how many how many guys can say that they were set up with their wife by their father-in-law? Yeah, there's no uh, <laughs> yeah. there's no hurdle to pass over after the wedding there, right? Not You've really. already got his admiration. Yeah, That's I didn't cool. have to ask for his blessing as much as you know. Can we set a date here? Yeah. yeah. Okay, and the uh, the the classic adventurer the tom rademacher who says yeah sure i'll hitchhike my way through alligator alley what uh what life lessons does that have in store for us say yes and build a story um i think be open to to opportunities yeah Uh, you know go to the library and check out different stacks of books and look at the covers and and think and and be open to the possibility that gosh maybe i'd like to look at a book about on art and just and just sit there and 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 revel in 
all the stuff that's out there for the taking. And, you know, we live in a very privileged society, and um, I, I, I can't imagine, I, I can't understand it when I hear somebody say that they're bored. Mm. Um, unless there's some implications, you know, where there's some uh, a mental health issue or, or they're, they're not able to get somewhere because of a handicap or a situation. But how could you be bored when um, there's so much humanity and nature around us and, and uh, in fonts of information, uh, it, like, like the Internet, for instance, um, or, or Kent District Library, Grand Rapids Public Library, places to go to, to, to learn about things and just to be exposed to, to all the possibilities. Yeah, and I can't agree with you more there. I come from a very digital age where... Um, there, there's more resources at our disposal for information than I think there ever has been at any other time in, in the history of the world. Yeah, but get your hands dirty too. You know, I, I talked about some of the jobs I had as a silkscreen T-shirt guy in a, a, a lot of factories, uh, Steelcase, Sackner, Havland. Um, I mean, really helping a guy dig ditches a little bit one summer. You know, doing flat work, concrete, um, yeah. shingling a roof. Sure. If, if if your body allows you to do that stuff, and and someone needs a hand, um, cough it up, and and uh, you you might even like it. You know, to try try some of these things that get your hands dirty and put you in a trench. Uh, it's uh, uh, it, it it may help you to at least to ferret through the things that that you don't want to become part of your destiny, and you can start to rule things out. And I guess I'm talking to teens and 20-somethings at this point, that if if you feel lost or, or aimless, um, it, dive into something. And uh, and if after eight hours you realize, you know, I, I don't like being behind a grill, okay, well, now you know that. You're smarter than you were this morning, and now go off and try something else. And maybe you were meant to be a, a designer or an architect or uh, work in a bakery uh, or go to college for six years. Um, but by all means, don't don't sit still because uh, nothing happens when you do. Well, Tom's adventure spans a lifetime, but it uh, its story definitely uh, combats the deficit. So thanks for thanks for sharing that with us. Thanks for your time. Um, I, I want to wrap up our segment by um, spending a, a little bit of uh, focus on what you're up to now. Um, we're going to post the show notes for today's episode at uh, at the website, www.adventuredeficit.com. You can email me with any questions, drew at adventuredeficit.com. Um, but, Tom, tell us a little bit about uh, where you're at, what you're up to, and if there's anything, any projects you want to inform our uh, our listener base uh, on. Now's a great time for you to do that. I guess in closing, I could say that uh, I'm in the hunt for stories that, uh, celebrate people who are um, in the second phase of their lives, and I, I pen those stories for the Grand Rapids Community Foundation's Encore Movement. And the stories focus on people who are um, uh, still busy, even though they've retired or they're thinking about retiring. And they might be involved in a for-profit or a non-profit. Maybe they volunteer, but they're they're uh, uh, they're involved in second acts for Greater Grand Rapids. And um, I'm looking for those stories, um, uh, vignettes, profiles of men and women. Uh, of all race, ethnicity, uh, nationality. Um, there's about 100 stories already posted um, at grfoundation.org slash encore. Um, grfoundation.org. 
.org slash Encore. Right. You can okay. go there and you can find me and uh, and you can email me uh, through that website or you can email me directly at rademakertom at gmail.com uh, and suggest a story. And I will return the, the message. Spell that out for us, Rademaker. Yeah, R-A-D-E-M-A-C-H-E-R-T-O-M. At gmail.com. At gmail.com. Cool. Yeah. Well, that wraps up today's show. Thanks again for your time. It's always been a pleasure. Uh, thanks, thanks for Drew. spending some time with the Adventure Deficit community. It's Cheers. to be on your show. Thank you.